With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Welcome to Wine Talk for today, Wednesday, February 24th, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I will take your calls anytime during the show at one 381 4860 or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or ask me or my guest any questions you like. 2010 has started off amazing for the show. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out. Welcome everyone listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people. It's the power of the Internet. If you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the website, videos, articles, and shows I am currently a part of. Speaking of articles and reviews, I am currently writing articles for Yahoo, Google, and The Examiner. So look for those well. I've also made a Wine 101 video series that can be viewed just about anywhere on the Internet. Uh, It's also now, the video series has been translated into multiple languages, so it's real nice. It's kind of interesting to hear yourself uh, in in different languages, or actually not really hear me in different languages. You see uh, the words that I'm saying uh, in different languages, so it's kind of nice. And uh, my next installment is going to be Wines of Italy. I'll review some Chianti for you, so uh, I'm in production on that one, and it should be ready fairly shortly. Well, I have to say I am pumped about my guests coming on the show tonight. First and foremost, let me say I'm a big fan of this legendary winemaker's wine. I have mentioned his company on the show many times before. He originates from one of the two wine-producing regions I have yet to fly to and see. One was South Africa, and he resides from Australia. I say all this because in a few minutes, I will be introducing my guest tonight, who is a luminary of the wine business. But first, let me give you the lineup for the show tonight. I'll be doing things a little differently. I'm going to be going a little off format because I want to give my guest the utmost time for questions and to talk with him tonight most of the hour. Of course, the number to call in is 1-646-381-4860, or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I have a chat room open, and you can get in there and chat amongst yourselves about wine, or ask me or my legendary guest any questions about wine. I'll check into the chat room periodically during the show and get them answered. Hey. Oh. Hey. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
All right. As I alluded to earlier, I have a wine business luminary, winemaker, award winner, and all-around good guy. He was in the vineyards of Barossa, Australia at a young age because of his parents having a family vineyard. So even as a young lad, he had a vision of wine. Highlights of his winemaking career include 2003 and 2006 International Winemaker of the Year, 2003 and 2006 Australian Producer of the Year, and 2006 White Winemaker of the Year. The name of the company is Peter Lehman of Barossa, and his name is Ian Hangel. Please welcome Ian Hangel to the show. Ian? How are you, nice? I am fantastic. I want to let you know it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on my show tonight. Well, thank you for having me. Excellent. Now, to all my listeners, as you know out there, you can call in and speak with Ian or myself anytime, 1-646-381-4860. Email your questions to info at stewthewineguru.com. I'm checking emails constantly. Or get into that chat room and ask us any questions. I'll check in and get an answer for you. Okay. So let's get to it. I have lots of questions to ask, Ian. Uh, I want you to do me a favor and take me back to the beginning. You grew up in Barossa Valley, a great wine-producing area of Australia. Your parents had a wine, uh, family wine vineyard. What was it like, your earliest memories of that vineyard? Give my listeners a little idea of what it's like, because, you know, naturally, not everybody gets that opportunity, which is a really, definitely an opportunity. Well, we were pretty lucky. I mean, we had a lot of space, which is, I think, uh, a bit of a privilege these days when you grow up as a kid. There was sure. uh, land, land to play on, and mm-hmm. uh, it was always the... Uh, watching the process of, of grapes being pruned during winter and then uh, I guess the fever-pitched excitement of uh, watching the grapes form and change colour and then uh, leading up to that critical evening when, you know, harvesters would arrive and trucks and there'd be a flurry of activity and and uh, you'd wake up the next morning and everything could be gone. But 
it's the same thing walking funny, through the vineyard. Yeah, it's funny you say that because some of my fondest childhood memories, and this probably may alarm some viewers, but for Sunday roast when we were when I was growing up, uh, my father would always have wine. You know, we'd have it all through the week, but. Uh, Sunday, he'd often put a little bit of in glass, and you know you'd get to taste a little bit of it. Probably be a teaspoon of wine, but sure. uh, we he would put Shiraz in front of me and then Cabernet in front of me, and say, so, you know, smell the difference. Uh-huh. And this day, I find myself incredibly uh, successful at being able to pick those two varieties, you know, in blind tastings, and there's just this uh, recall you get, nice childhood recall, yes. the type of smell that makes it and. I've later learned that uh, a lot of the, the food researchers and scientists will say that, you know, expose your children to as many smells and tastes as possible because that's when the database forms for, for yes. smell yes. recognition. And um, so, uh, needless to say, uh, our kids have a very varied diet. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely correct, though. I have to tell you, it's interesting. Um, just to, to, to add to that, last week's show I was talking about the idea of being in a vineyard and, and smelling the rais- you know, this raisiny smell. And I said, you know, it's kind of like you bring it back to your childhood. If No matter where you live, let's say you lived in a, an, an apartment, okay, and someone, you know, everybody cooks different things, and they use different things to cook. Some use onions, some use garlic, you know, and different types of herbs. And you associate those, the, the people and their, the food with, you know, what they use because you smelled it through the walls as you walked through, and you smelled the different smells. And so it's kind of a, it, it's a, like you said, the recall that you have is absolutely amazing because you may not remember who the person was, you may not remember their name, but you can remember where they lived and what they cooked. And you probably have some, you know, some memories of you know, doing things with their, their, their kids, you know. So, uh, you know, some of my fondest memories are, are, are doing that, actually just thinking back on those things and who cooked what and, you know, what I smelled and what, where I was. But, yeah, I digress. It's, very powerful. it's a very powerful sense. That it, yes. Uh, it goes much further than we probably care to recognize. Absolutely. So let me take you a little further and my listeners a little further. So you finished enology studies in the early 90s and you start yep. working at Penfold. Um, yep. Tell us about that experience. What, what did you learn from that out of curiosity? Uh, well, I was working actually as a sparkling winemaker uh, as an understudy um, straight out of college and um, it uh, was a very professional company at that time and, well, it still is and, and um, it, it basically just gave you a, a very uh, strong business framework to, for want of a better description, a slightly more corporate side to wine and that at the end of the day, when you get to that scale, you know, it's about making sure that you're efficient and that you dot your I's and cross your T's sure. and that uh, the importance of batch processing and consistency where when you're making uh, a wine that people have had before that the next time they buy it, there's an expectation that there's continuity of taste. So right. that was probably that probably set me up for that, that kind of thought process. That's great because, you know, it's, it's very rare even that little nugget there. I, I talked to a lot of people and a lot of winemakers over the course of my, my years, 15, or 15 years or so, in travel. And the, breaking it down the way you've broken it down really is, is, is a wonderful thing. And people get to hear, the listeners that are listening, get to hear from your, you know, your brain, from your thought process as to what, um, you know, what, what you're doing and how you're doing it and what you're learning and uh, how you're applying it. So it's really, um, it's very much appreciated, and it, and this is what it's all about. This is what I'm trying to get across to uh, my listeners is the education behind it. And, you know, it's very simple to, to grab a bottle of wine and pour it into a glass and sip it and drink it. But knowing everything behind it, um, not the average person doesn't get a chance to travel worldwide and doesn't get a chance yeah. to go in and talk. And so it's you know, this is the, this is a very enlightening experience that I like to uh, to offer to everyone that that I mean, listens. The, the beauty of the beauty of wine is there's so many angles and there's so many uh, faces to the wine family business 
the wine industry, uh, and you know it's um, every bit as relevant as the other. And um, you know having a having a, a full comprehension of you know from the garage style winemakers who will put a few barrels out of their shirt to uh, very large international companies that you know stake their reputation on being able to deliver a, a branded wine year in year out. You know there's it, it's it's very important, I think, to have a, a comprehension of what's at stake. So Absolutely, it's good, to have done, it's good to have been involved in all ends of it. It is, and you know, I, I tell you, the the one thing that's um, unique and again wonderful about wine is that it, it creates a bonding experience that one that transcends um, all cultures. So you know, people from all over the world. Wine, wine, wine brings people to the table, doesn't it? It that's it. A, I said exactly. A medium, a medium for conversation. It becomes a medium for, for uh, you know, breaking bread. And I yes. think that that is one of the very special things about wine. It's it's more than just a drink. It has that property. Definitely. So okay. So um, Shiraz. We mentioned Shiraz. It's the most well-known varietal from Australia. Probably yes. you'll you'll tell me if I'm wrong. The most grown, most produced, most produced varietal in most Australia. Produced. Okay. Uh, most, most, most important varietal to our region. Absolutely. So now here's my, I go back to that little trick that your dad kind of well not trick but little test that your dad did with you. Um, tell me about working with that grape. Your thoughts on it versus growing Cabernet, Merlot, Syrah, any other grape? I, I you know because obviously with the largest production coming from Australia. There you know, and I have to say, I've always I've always felt this way about things. Um, if you're going to uh, drink wine, and I'm not trying to say it I like to drink it from the origin, the country of origin. For me, in other words, if I know I want to get a good Shiraz, I know I'm gonna get it from Australia. If I want to get a, a and I'm not taking take anything from the Cabernet or anything else. But I'm just saying I like I like some of the Cabernets from Napa. Um, I like the Bordeaux from, obviously, you know, the the blends from France, and so on and so on. But but what I was going to say was, since the most Shiraz is produced there, obviously there's a thought behind it as far as the terroir and the climate and all that. And I wanted you to just touch upon that versus all the other varietals. Sure. Well, look, I mean, Shiraz has has obviously uh, grown incredibly well in Australia in terms of uh, recognition, sales, and then as a wine itself, the types of Shiraz we produce. But you, I guess, you get back to the basics. Why has it? Why has it been so successful? And that's when you really hit on the type of climates and soils and winemaking techniques and clones that we have. Obviously, produce a wine that uh, gathers, for want of a better description, a very high world acceptance. Um, Shiraz makes beautiful, deeply coloured wines with uh, incredible mouthfeel and texture, but very also high aromatics. And yep. then there's all different spectrums of Shiraz that are produced, mm-hmm. but Australia produces uh, consistently, uh, you know, a, a fantastic wine that, um, you know, really does, I guess, uh, hit, hit, hit the mark with, with our drinkers. And I guess it's always a saying, you can sell them the first bottle, but it's whether they come back and buy the second. And the, the growth of Shiraz says that, you know, what we're doing is a, is producing a wine that really appeals to people around the world. Right. And you do it so incredibly well. And I, I, I'm not saying you in general, Thanks. I'm saying you in specific. <laughs> No, I mean, there's amazing diversity in Shiraz that comes out of Australia and, and out of the Barossa Valley. I mean, it's a it's a it's a, a region with really two levels of, of of altitude and a multitude of soil types, and then also an incredible heritage of um, of, of, of of a vine stock. Um, Australia boasts uh, the oldest living Shiraz vines in the world, um, still on own roots. Um, if I jump ahead to a little bit of history, when, when, Shiraz, when Shiraz was planted in the Barossa Valley, it was pre-Phylloxera. So the, the original clonal material um, understood to be taken from the hill of Hermitage, Tain Hermitage. Right. And f- 
phylloxera swept through France and essentially wiped out a lot of their their uh, their original planting material. And we're still fortunate enough to be free of phylloxera in this region, right. um, and hence have 100, 150, 160 year old living Shiraz vineyards still on own roots from the original planting material that was taken wow. from phylloxera. Wow, that's unbelievable. So that's amazing. New world as a, yeah, as a New World wine region, you've got the oldest vines in the world on some of the oldest soils in the world producing these wines. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Um, it, it's rare that people understand. I think, you know, again, the average wine uh, consumer goes to their wine shop or wherever they purchase wine and, you know, buys a Shiraz in whatever their pocket will, will bear and, and yep. drinks it. And not knowing, as you were mentioning before, there are a variety of different levels of grade or quality to them. Um, so that it, it dis, they distinguish themselves. And, you know, it's funny. I've gotten it on the retail end. When I worked in the retail end, I always got that question is, okay, why is this $12 and this is 40 or $60? Where's the difference between this Shiraz and this Shiraz? You know, you always get yeah. that. You know, From a retail, a retail experience, the, the best thing I can do as a winemaker in that is an in-store tasting. I get the exact same question. And, and you take people through our range of Shiraz, which goes from essentially... Fifteen dollars to a hundred dollars, right. and they say, "Well, why is that called a hundred and that's fifteen? And I said, "No problem. Let's taste." And we go through the wines, and as we step up, and they finally get to the last wine, they look at you and they go, "I get it." <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and, and 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 it's you know it's and I say that's what you're paying for. You know, right. the, the in, intensity and the complexity and the layers that that. Uh, uh, involved in the, the, the higher-end wine. Right, and, and there are vintages. I mean, that's something to be also mentioned in that the same thing as you have with Cabernets and you have with uh, Bordeaux and you have with, uh, you know, Italian Brunellos and so forth, there are vintages of Shiraz, as you mentioned before, because of the, the fact that the, the vines have, you know, have been around hundreds of, you know, over 100 years. Um, you know, so... To get a wine from from produced from something like that, you know, it's going to cost a little bit more because it's going to taste a little bit better, you know, or a lot better. In that exactly. I mean, it, but you know, just flip it around for a minute from my perspective to be able to make wine off vineyards that have been owned for the same family for seven generations. You know, as I walk through these vineyards or I drink the wine that we've produced off these old vines, it just uh, it blows my mind how many people have worked that piece of earth and have pruned the vineyard or helped in the harvesting or driven a driven a horse and cart or a horse and plough up those rows, you know, right. 100 odd years ago. And, and here I am today making wine off the same living plant. It's amazing, and isn't it? It's a, it's a privilege. You know? I bet, and you know, that, that's, that's, a, that's a very humbling thing to say. And, and, and in addition to that, it's got to be pretty amazing to be standing there, and like you said, and you, you've got to feel the history under your feet. Yeah, it's something that we don't probably make people aware enough of. I mean, if you look at a French chateau, the history is 800 years old plus, but right. and that's incredible. And I've worked there, and you just smell it as you walk into the into the region, and you know you you know you're somewhere special. But obviously, our buildings aren't that old. But our earth is, is millions of years old, and, and, our, and our vineyards are some of the oldest in the world because the French vineyards, they turn them over, you know, at a, at a much higher rate. And, right. uh, whereas right. the, these vines are basically still, still kicking on, and uh, it's incredible. Yeah, I have to say, uh, you know, here in the States, we really don't have much like that. You know, uh, California doesn't have that kind of uh, history. And uh, the more I travel... I'm sorry? You've got Las Vegas. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> Las Vegas. But uh, I was going to say, you know, it's funny. The more I travel, the more I realize, you know, we're such a young country, you know. Um, you know, I lived in Manhattan. I lived in New York. And I remember, you know, living in Manhattan and, and, and walking with a friend of mine one time. This has got to be 20-some-odd years ago. And I remember looking at, this building, this one building, and realizing it said established, you know, 
1899, or I'm sorry, yeah. like something like that. And I thought to myself, wow, that is a really old building. And then yeah. the funny thing hit me. I went to I went to Rome, and with my wife and I, and we we went on our honeymoon. And we're you know typical tourists. We're walking around, you know, we're looking, and we're standing by this obelisk. If you've ever been to to Rome before, there's an obelisk. It's by the Pantheon, not too far from it. And this uh, tourist, um, this, this bunch of tourists go by, and this tourist guy turns around and points at my wife and I and says, okay, and over there, right where they're standing, uh, it was where Caesar was stabbed by um, you know, Brutus. And I, and I looked and I said, here? Right here? And said, oh, yeah. And they just kept walking. And then we thought to ourselves, wow, okay, thousands, not hundreds, thousands of years right under our feet, the cobblestones we're standing on. So, you know, like I, basically what I was getting at was just making the comparison between having, you know, that many generations make wine, you know, and, uh, you know, it's something that, that is new world, technically, but from old, yeah. old vines. It's a nice... It's a nice um, I think, yeah, I think what makes it special for us in the Barossa Valley is it's, it's the continuity of a living thing. It's not just a building that was built, you know, 500 years ago, which in its own self is an incredible fact. You know, we have uh, eucalyptus trees, red gums, we call them, you know, yes. that are five, six, seven, eight hundred years old, still living, and they dot the landscape all around our region. And they wow. might be, uh, you know, 20 metres around the girth. You could, you know, it's sort of like the California uh, uh, redwood red forest. Right. Uh, it, you know, there's... There's some amazing things here. They're really old, but the great thing is they're still living. <laughs> now, are they protected? Or do, uh, the, yeah. koala, do the koalas get to eat the eucalyptus off of those? Uh, they eat a specific eucalyptus. They okay. don't eat these particular, they don't okay. eat these particular trees. But yeah, I was going to say, that would be a, you know, a, a crime. You know? It would be terrible. Because you'd yeah. have two things, that are, two things that would basically be you know, close to being extinct. <laughs> you know? <laughs> One extinct, almost extinct thing eating something else, you know? No fear of it yet. Yeah. Um, okay, so now let me get back a little bit. I'll, I'll touch base on a few things for my listeners here. So now in 1998, uh, as you alluded to the first couple of seconds of our conversation, you get a job at Peter Lehman. So yep. Now, ex- you, you started to talk about it. How did that exactly come about? I understand that your dad had worked for them, but what, what exactly was the... You know the impetus. Well, for that. Lehman's is a is a is a fantastic sort of family-owned company where once people sort of join here, it's not how many years you've worked; it's generally how many decades. It's just that kind of a place. Right. And um, uh, so there's there's been a very very stable winemaking base at Peter Lehman's, and it's been headed up for the last 30 years by the current chief winemaker, whose name is Andrew Wiggins. Mm-hmm. And he has been with Peter since the formation of this company. And on his side was a, 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 a fellow by the name of Michael Scholes, uh, Peter Scholes, whose brother Michael actually works in the Napa as a winemaker there. But uh, his business was growing and it was time for him to move on. And so this uh, rare opportunity came up where there was a winemaking position available at Lehman's. And um, basically, yeah, I applied for the for the job and... And a couple of interviews later, found myself moving back to the Brossa Valley with a big smile mm. on my face. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know, it's funny, I, I mentioned at the top of the show, I said, there's two places I really, two major wine regions I have not been to. One is Australia, and the other is South Africa. I mean, I've been basically yep. everywhere else. And, you know, it's so rich with, like, as we mentioned before, history, and it's so rich with you know, fantastic wines and great winemakers. And the thing that I notice is that it's very similar to the way Napa Valley is. In that, oh, and obviously yeah. it's, a lot, it's a lot bigger. In that everybody, you know, supports everyone. There isn't a... a yeah. You know what I mean? It's not a competitive thing. Winemaking doesn't seem to be competitive. I noticed that. In other words, like going through Napa Valley... I, I went to you know a couple of tastings, of course, and I and I got a chance to talk with the winemakers and the owners of the vineyards, and I went through and I walked through the the vineyards, and you know had that kind of personal tour. Very lucky to do that. Sure. And the thing that yeah. I noticed was, I I asked you can tell I asked I'm very inquisitive and I asked a lot of questions, and so the questions I asked were not typical questions that 
is asked of a winemaker. So the, I, I, th- I knew, I remember throwing this one winemaker before. I, I won't mention his name at the moment. But anyway, I said to him, so what's your favorite wine? What do you like? And I was expecting him to say, of course, his own. And oddly enough, yeah. he said, a French wine. He said, you know, it's my, yeah. you know. And I said, well, why not your own? He said, well, you know, it, wine is not a competitive sport. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's, and not that I thought it was, but I, I was very pleased to hear an honest answer and not one of, well, we're the best and, you know, and, you know, thump the chest, you know? So it, it, and I find that to be everywhere I go, people talk about, oh, did you get a chance to go to here? Did you try their wine? Did you? And I think, you know, it's what a wonderful, it's like, um, what's the best way to put it? It's like a, living on a commune, you know, of winemakers. And everyone there wine, helps each other. You know, wine is a journey, and, and, and to get along that pathway, that journey involves tasting as many wines from as many places in the world as you can possibly get your hands on or your lips yeah. around, which is, which is, I think, I've never met a winemaker that, you know, isn't more interested in wanting to try the wine at the other end of the table rather yeah. than, you know, necessarily the wine that's there straight in front of them. But, you know, and, uh, you know often you go to a restaurant here in the Barossa and, you'll be sitting down and the room will be full of people that you know and and waiters will be just walking across the room taking burying bottles between tables where <laughs> take that over here and and you know let such and such try this you know sure. often something else and the sort of the, the the wine waiter rules aren't as strict in Australia as they are in the states and um and uh you know you'll just see this this uh frenzy of glasses being being you know, swirled around the restaurant, it's, and, you, and you take one bottle and you've ended up trying 10 different wines. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing, though, I have to say. It's a really, I mentioned, I go back to the communal idea. It definitely is, and it's, 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 it's a, um, a consortium. Of, you're, a, a sharing. Con- you're sharing. That's it. Yes. The Barossa has an amazing knowledge base of information on the on the actual winemaking art and on, the, and on vineyards and on the seasons and what to do in good times and what to do in bad, and and people get together and they, they sit around and we talk about, oh, I've got this problem, you know, or this isn't working or what happened here. And, and everyone will just, you know, there's no fee involved. It's just, oh, hey, such and such down the southern end of the, of the region's using this and apparently it's worked. So, right. you know, tr- try that. And It seems and, to be uh, that way. I seem to notice that, like I said, everywhere I go, not only, you know, in every... Um, Every region, whether it be Italy or, or France, or um, everyone is interested in, in helping each other because it's it's the common the common goal, you know, of yeah. fixing the problem. Or you know, so this way you don't you, it doesn't happen again, you know. Um, and you know, if I have that information, why keep it to myself? No reason, you know. But um, I was going to ask. I uh, I'm just looking here to see uh, if we have any. Questions. I've got, I've got a ton of email questions. You want to take an email question? Sure. Oh, okay, great. Okay. So this one, you'll be happy to know. This one is from Simon 80 of Queensland, Australia. Right. Okay? Yep. And it says, I'm listening, mate, <laughs> and I love your show. <laughs> My question is for Ian. And what? And I guess this basically goes back to you know what we just were discussing. But he says, what separates Peter Le- uh, Lehman Wines from the herd as a winemaker here in Australia? He says, thanks, Stu, and cheers to you both. So I want to say first, thanks, Simon, for your email question. And uh, thanks, Ian, mate. Ian, take it away. Uh, we always feel that um, as, a, as a wine region and as a wine maker, you know, wine is about the people, the stories, the place that we come from, and the wines that we produce. And, you know, Peter Lehman's, winery is you know founded by a man who's still alive right still alive today and you know his story is continuously being told and the you know the the fruits of the fruits of his labor are now being passed on to us and we can continue to tell that story and we're making we're making wines from you know vineyards owned by families that we've worked with now for nearly 50 years right Um, in Peter's past life as a winemaker at, at Fultram before he started Peter Lehman Wines. And but these are now the grandchildren of the people wow. that Peter started, Peter started working with. Yes. So there's this 
inherent bond between us, the winemaker, and the, the grape growers or vineyards of this region. And I think That's... that is that is second to none in a, in a in a business model that you know it's done on a handshake and a trust of quality. And I think that the blessing that the Barossa gives us is incredible diversity. So we don't just make one wine; we can make an entire range of wines. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great, great answer and, oh, and, and great question. Thank you to Simon for, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a call here. We'll get, looks like we have an international call, so let me uh, let me take that, if you will. Uh, let's see. Hello. Hello. Caller, what is your name and where are you calling from? Um, Max Morales from Chile, from Andes Wines. Oh, fantastic. We've got Andes Wines on here. Um, Ian uh, from Chile. We've got Max calling in. Max, welcome. Hi, Max. How are you? Hello, Peter. Uh, I think a couple of years, uh, hello, I'm from Chile. I think a couple of years ago we talked by email and I just wanted to comment that a lot of people in Chile follow you about what you're doing in Australia and uh, actually there's a big movement in South America trying to get into the family concept uh, the last couple of years and I think you are one of the the, the people that is uh, seeing after what you've been doing the last you know, years. Well, thank you. Um, I, we just put so much value on it as a as a model for business, and and that if you if you get the family right, and if you get the I guess the hub in which we work within our regional community, and the relationships are respected and honoured, um, I think that uh, you know that resonates through what we're doing and. The people who work in this company are incredibly proud of where we come from and, and what we've achieved as a as a relatively new winery in the world. Um, but uh, you know we're incredibly passionate and believe about what we what we're trying to do. And I think that that you know I think that's a message that everyone who walks into a store, if you like, and when they want to buy one, they can relate to that and they they feel part of our family, especially if they've had the opportunity to, to visit the winery and, and, and spend time spend time here. That's great. Yeah, definitely. And actually in Chile the last couple of years we've been seeing on labels names of people and that's the thing I think the market is looking for. Somebody that they can call and even argue about what they found in the bottle and and I think uh, there's a few people doing that in the world, and you can count it like less, maybe a hundred people in each country, or maybe less. I'm not sure, but in Chile it's about uh, 20 people that they are launching their wine, and and they have seen you and they have read about what you've been doing, and I think it's uh, well, that's the good thing about the new world. We can do it. Hey, uh, uh, Max, I had a quick question. Just, just uh, I you know I wanted you to just give a little info quickly about uh, Andes Wines and, you know, what you're about. I know that uh, there's a big movement in Chile and, and Argentina um, with, you know, your company, what you do. So if you just wanted to give a quick little, you know, tell, tell people tell people what you do. I'm familiar with what Well, actually, yeah, actually, Andes Wines has been working on almost 10 years, and we have a team in, uh, in Sydney uh, traveling around uh, wine regions and... Uh, Maybe then in the next couple of weeks, we've, we've been be calling Peter and the company to visit them. Ian, right. We do videos, and <laughs> of course we're going to visit you. But uh, we've been doing a global network uniting about uh, 15 countries, uh, and now it's too. Somehow we've been uh, finding a way to work and open this uh, global uh, network, and I think... Uh, type of radio talk it are marvelous actually well thank you thank you thank you well I, I appreciate you calling in and uh, and asking Ian and and, uh, and questions about about what Peter Lehman's all about and what they're doing in their mission and um, I will please call in again and I look forward to talking with you again thanks so much Max thank you very much bye bye have a great evening bye Peter bye Peter thank you so again, um, as I mentioned, the show is international, so you get calls from <laughs> everywhere. Uh, let me go back to, I, I do have a, a, another email, uh, if you want to grab that one as well. Um, sure. This one is from Jack Rack. Interesting name. I, I, tell you, I get some great, interesting e <laughs> screen names that people have. 
This was from Liverpool, England. And it says, cheers to both. Uh, Stu, I've been listening to you from your very first show, and it's first class. Well, thank you. Love your guests. My question is for Ian. How do you tell the difference between the levels of good and great Shiraz? Well, you kind of touched upon that earlier, um, I guess. Uh, Jack, if you were listening, but I guess Ian can just kind of touch upon that um, and give you an answer to that as well. Yeah, it's, uh, my answer really hasn't changed from a from an educational perspective. Is it to perhaps get a get a group of friends together and all all put some money in and and go and buy a range of wines that are perhaps from the same region uh, to try and you know eliminate the variables and. Buy buy a series of different wines at price points. So buy a cabinet, buy Napa Valley Cabernet or something, or Australian Shiraz from the Brosser, and go, you know, at, at ten dollars, at twenty dollars, at thirty dollars, and seventy bucks and a hundred bucks or something like that. Right. And line them up, and 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 your mouth will explain it to you yeah. um, better than I better than I can. And Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's all the case. Yeah, intensity and richness. It's um, you know, and that's. That's the most practical way for a for a person who wants to understand what they're paying for to, to try and you know shine some light on that that, that experience. Or you know uh, if you get the opportunity to visit wine regions, you know you'll certainly taste a lot of wines in a day, and uh, you'll start to gain a gain an understanding and a perspective of why the people in that particular region value these wines at a higher price to other wines, and and you'll start to understand what what will set you apart. Absolutely, great. I have to tell you that, and that was a good question. Even though, I mean, you know, you had gone into it earlier. I want, I want to touch upon something here, if you would, for my listeners. People are listening worldwide, and they have questions, right? So, yep. if you could explain just a little bit for the person who has never traveled to Australia, okay, you can just give kind of like a little synopsis, a little overview as to the way the wine regions are broken out, because you know, I know that I know that there are multiple wine regions. I know there's more than Barossa yeah. Valley, of course. So if you could just kind of just give them an idea, like I know about Napa and I can explain Napa, but I, you know, I, I know a little bit, of, just enough about it. But I, coming from you would really be uh, something fantastic. Sure. If um, well, firstly, the wine regions of Australia are in a belt that runs across uh, from east to west or west to east, whichever way you want to look at it. Right. Um, and within that belt, uh, the latitudes between these. These areas, and don't ask me what the numbers are, 32 or something like that. Um, uh, there's a strip where the temperature and the, the humidity and the rainfall is a band that runs across Australia, sees most of Australia's wine regions uh, pinpointed within this area. And that really runs from, say, uh, you know, Sydney down to Tasmania, which is a little island below, below Australia, and then runs all the way across to the western side to the Margaret River and up to the Swan, Swan Valley. And uh, there's a big gap in the middle where we have a lot of desert, but uh, this sees, this sees uh, uh, good rainfall through this band, uh, not too hot, generally cool, dry winters, um, and, or cool, wet winters, sorry, and uh, generally gives us a, a ripening season that uh, is generally free of a lot of the sort of diseases that uh, are often synonymous with, with grape grain regions. Right. Now, and now you were mentioning... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't want to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no. Not far away. No, I just wanted to... I just was going to ask. Um, uh, is it similar in, in to some degree, uh, certain areas like Argentina and Chile? I mean, in that uh, the amount of rainfall and, and how that works? Are there regions, uh, are there areas... There's, the, the, the rainfalls vary from, you know, uh, I have to talk in millimetres, I'm sorry. That's but, okay. Uh, probably, probably from, you know, uh, 350 millimetres up to probably uh, seven 800 millimetres of rainfall. Um, and, uh, you know, that gives various, various regional difference between slightly wetter, cooler areas and yeah. slightly sort of dry, more Mediterranean areas. The Barossa is seen as a... As a sort of a Mediterranean area in its climate, um, so it's, it's termed as having uh, cool, wet winters and warm, dry summers, which is right. basically what we're having, what we've had this season. So now, would you be in harvest at this point? We're right in the middle of harvest, halfway right. through. Um, and it was a great time. Uh, we're, we're having a very good, uh, having a very good vintage. 
I was going to ask how it looks. <laughs> yeah, we've, yeah, no, we've had lovely rainfalls in winter, which sort of sets the vines up with beautiful canopies. Um, and the season's been relatively cool. Um, so we've been doing a lot of time in vineyards and there's basically no sunburn and the fruit's in, in very sound condition. Lovely colours in the reds and great delicacy in the whites. So as a, winemaker, as a winemaker, 2010 is, is quite exciting. So in other words, we're looking at... So when they come out in 2012... Yep, for the reds. Yep. They will be phenomenal. They will, so you can already, we're, you're hearing it now from... From the winemaker himself, out of Australia, Ian Hongel, telling you that 2012 is going to be fantastic. When you, as soon as you get those those 2010s and 2012, hold on to them. <laughs> Trick them up and hold yeah, on to them. I, they'll be good. I think, you know, I think we've got some really nice things going on in Ferment at the moment, so quite pleased. That's good. That's fantastic. I've got some more uh, email here for you, just so you know. Sure. So the next one is from Wine Girl, G-U-R-L, from Tuscany. Italy, and she writes, you, you're going to like this, Ian, you two sound like a radio team. Stu, <laughs> <laughs> you always get great guests. My question is for Ian. I love these questions. I have to tell you, I, I, you know, I, I, they couldn't have been any better if I wrote them myself. <laughs> like, it's great. Um, my question is for Ian. Ian, what other great varietals are big out of Australia, and where can I get your wines here in Tuscany? Okay, so it's a good question. So thank, well, I'm just going to thank her. Thank you, Wine Girl, for your email. Ian, your answer? Well, in our region, uh, the biggest grape is Shiraz. Right. But we also uh, produce Semillon, a white grape, and Riesling from, high, from in the high hills above the Barossa Valley. And um, we also, the old traditional varieties of Mavedra and Grenache are also grown. But then we also have some Cabernet and a little bit of Merlot. Um, new, there's some, some interest in new varieties, but they're all still very small at the moment, things like Albarino, Decchio, um, uh, just to name a few, Sangiovese. For Great, you're getting into, you're getting into different regions' varietals. Yeah, great. I mean, that's probably one of the great things about making wine in, this, in Australia is there aren't a lot of rules as far as what you can and can't plant. Try things, and if it works, uh, fantastic. If it doesn't, they pull it out and try something else. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's the nice thing our, about it. Our wines are available in Italy, but uh, I'll be playing the ignorant hand as being just a winemaker. I, I couldn't actually tell you where. <laughs> so what I will do for you, Ian, of course, as a good radio show host that I am, I will uh, give all the information as to they can go on to your site and find out about ordering it through there. Thanks. So, yeah. so, here's my question for you. Ian, are there any upcoming projects or events that you would like to tell my listeners about? Anything? Anything you want to you know, get out there and plug, please, by all means. Well, we're really excited about Riesling um, as something sort of quite different, and people probably don't think of Australia as a, as a Riesling-producing region. And uh, I think that uh, we produce very... Uh, dry minerally style rieslings um, right. that uh, are, are, are quite awarded. Um, but you know, I think if there's anything I want to tell listeners about about wine from the, from us or from Australia is that uh, seek out um, something that uh, you know is probably you know pull up with some friends and try to buy something extra because. I think there's a wonderful message of, of, of discovery with wines from our region that you know that there are some incredibly unique wines being produced and that um, uh, you know take the time to perhaps go one better than you may have originally intended and uh, you might be surprised. Right. Okay. Well, let me see. I've got some people in the chat room uh, to see what's going on in there. Anybody? Uh Anybody asking questions there? I've also got some, some more email questions here before we wrap it up. And, I, and, and as everyone knows, it, the, the show goes upwards of an hour. It can go anywhere in between that time. So I kind of keep it as a loose format. Um, yeah, and so this way, you know, everybody gets in everything they want. The questions are asked, you know, um, and I, you know, I never, I'll never sh- 
shut the show down if someone has a question like the last second. You know, people go, wait, 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 wait. You know, oh, I have somebody in our in our uh, chat room and they'll ask a question. You know, literally as I'm saying, okay, so good night. They go, wait, wait, you know. But uh, no, I think let's see. I think we got all the questions here answered because uh, that works. Well, I, I have to say. It was a fantastic show tonight. It was really, really uh, more educational and entertaining than uh, than I've had with uh, many of my guests. Uh, you are a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, you really, you really are a great at explaining uh, and giving and disseminating the information so that my listeners from every walk of the wine world can understand um, what they need to know about wine about the region of Australia and, and how it grows it, and also um, about Peter Lehman. The, the thing I wanted you to also mention before we you know, kind of cut this short, um, if you would just give, me, give everybody like a little clue in about uh, Glenn Curlew and uh, Bodega Colome and, and, sure. and Hess, if you would, because you know, they, 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 sure. they're part of it. So the Peter Lehman is, I guess, under an umbrella of what's called the Hess family of wines. And within that, we have the Hess Collection Winery out of Napa, Glen Carlu in uh, South Africa, uh, Colome in, in uh, Argentina, and Peter Lehman Wines in Australia. And these, we, I guess, are wineries that are a, a, a small uh, wineries with, a, I guess, a family feel and, I guess, are like-minded in business philosophy and that with a... I guess a mission that it's not necessarily about making more, we're trying to make better. And uh, so as a, as a portfolio of wines, um, Donald Hess, who uh, owns the group, for want of a better description, uh, basically you know, is quite visionary in what he's trying to uh, take to the market and to tell uh, the story of uh, four very unique uh, wineries that um, you know, I think are... Uh, wineries that uh, really do exemplify the regionality of where they come from. And so, uh, you know, it's really quite exciting to be part of something that uh, is, you know, holds that philosophy because the worst thing that always happens to winemakers when they get taken over uh, by, by bigger corporate companies is that the first thing is, is they want your brand and then they just want to maximise it. And so they don't care about the quality. They just go, just make me more. And... Um, you know, this really isn't something that's happening here. And it's nice to have that sort of sense that we have a control over our quality and our destiny. And they're both together. They both run concurrently, basically. Yeah. And I think, you know, that lets you make, it lets you make better wine. And at the end of the day, that's, I think, what everyone wants. Absolutely. I, I, you know, the, the amazing thing to me is is that, you know, you hear about California, and lately you hear people saying that, you know, the winemakers are tending to go more towards the fruit bomb, you know, and, and making yep. cafes. You know, and I, I, yeah, I guess there are winemakers out there like that. And, you know, I think in every region you might find that. But, I, I, you know, I have to say that um, it, it definitely comes down to what you put into it and the, the time and the effort and, the, and, like you said, the end product running concurrently with your mission, what you want uh, ultimately at the end of the day, you want you want the quality control to be there. So it's not just mass produce. It's not just let's get it out. And it's not let's make the taste for the people um, because the average person wants something sweet. Let's make it the way we, we make it, the way we do it. Yep. And then and, and the people that will appreciate that will appreciate it. It's like, the, as they say, the, the cream rises to the top or the water seeks its own level, whichever metaphor you like to use. Um, I think it applies. I so. think, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned over the, uh, the last couple of decades is really that um, there is a myriad of tastes and palates and, uh, you know, people like different things. And that's okay. And it, it, it came to me quite early in my career when I was sort of saying to someone one time that, you know, this is a terrible thing, it's too high in alcohol, it's sweet and all of this. And, and the person turned to me and said, well, you know what, you know, I've got, I got about 100,000 cases of this being sold, so don't tell me what my customer's like. Wow, went, right. Okay. okay. <laughs> and I thought, and, and there in itself was a rule. 
And the great thing about wine is that there is so much diversity. And if you don't like something, you know what? Cool, because you can go out and find probably what you do like without too much effort. And uh, there's incredible, you know, incredible diversity. And and but but I think keeping a mind, keeping your mind open, the fact that some people might like something that's sweet, some people might like something that's bone dry, right. some people might like something with heaps of acidity, mm-hmm. and other people may want no oak or stacks of oak. And I right. think you stick to your gun. You stick to your gun. You do what you know you can do. If if people like it, they'll come back and buy it, and you'll stay in business. And I That's guess it. that after after 30 years, the message that you know the feedback we've got is that there are people who enjoy drinking what we do, and basically, you know, what we're offering is certainly resonating with with a lot of folks around the world. So that's um, that's that's I think. uh, you know, we are who we are, and we're just gonna, you know, continue to just do what we do and tell our story. And and if you like it, I guess you'll get on board our train. And if you don't, um, there'll be another one at the station. <laughs> well, and 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 here's the thing I was gonna tell you. The one thing that I've said to people over and over, years and years and years, about wine, and that is this: you can go your whole life and never drink the same two wines. That's the beauty of wine. There's so many. There's a plethora out there. There's a to add to and kind of put a um, a highlight to a verbal highlight marker on what you just said. Reckon, in that, it's there. The be, I reckon the world would be a lot happier if uh, if people if people if people did spend the rest of their life drinking different wines. That's it. Is it? Think about it. Isn't that the beauty of it? I think everybody has that quest. You know, I'm always thinking that everyone thinks the way I think. I want to try. <laughs> Everything I can try for the rest of my life because I figured to myself, you know what? I, there's enough out there, and if I, you know, sure, there's things that I like that I'll drink, you know, on a regular basis because I like them and I know they're pretty much consistent. But I mean, for the most part, it's, isn't the beauty in the journey of trying something different and learning? Going, wow, I would never have tried that, but that's really that's fantastic. Or unfortunately, conversely, where you go, woo, <laughs> wow, that's really not good. The best thing I've learned about this is that uh, if you if you drink wine and you're yeah. wanting to learn about wine, you trust your palate. If yeah. you don't like it, don't drink it. Right. You know, if it doesn't resonate with you, don't have it. Move on and try the next wine. Exactly. Uh, it's a very personal experience, and I can't I can't tell you what you like. And that's why when people say, if people say to me they're tasting, well, I don't like that one. I think that's okay. I respect that. That's fine. Sure. Try try this one, and then they go, "Oh, I like that." And so, yeah. Oh, there we go. We no one takes have... anything personal. Right. We have no no one takes it personal, and everyone's palate is different. And you know that's the that's the one thing I've always had fun doing, especially when I worked on the retail end, was getting keenly adept, as I call it, at learning people's palates and being able to make recommendations yeah. to them that they could count on day in day out and say, you know what, if you recommend it. I know I'm going to enjoy it when I drink it. And I think it kind of um, extends uh, via the Internet for me to this show. And that's what I, what I ultimately want to do. I want to expose people to different winemakers and different wine-related companies so that they can say to themselves, you know what, I probably never would have tried it or, I, or I've heard of it but I never tried it before. You know, now I'm going to go out and try that and see what that's all about. And if, that, if I just do that, if I get that accomplished, I'm happy because I can't guarantee anyone's going to love something, but I do guarantee that they, if they try it, uh, it's going to be a different experience than they've had before. That's and that's right. it. And people say people say to me, you know, what's your favorite wine that you produce? And I say, well, they're all like children. You know, right. at, different times of, at different times of the day, they have their place. And, uh, you know, I don't have a favorite wine. I have different occasions for different wines. And, and that's, that's it. You know, different I think mood, great, different great mood and different food. That's it. Yep. So here's what I, I got. Like so here's what I got. For more information about Ian Hungel and Peter Lehman Wines, go to web, the website www.peterlehmanwines.com.au. That will bring you to, to the direct um, website. And you can click on there and you can find out about wines and buying everything that you like. You can also find out a little bit more about Ian if you like and, uh, and email him. 
You can go to my website as well at www.stewthewineguru.com and click on the link of all my wine articles, videos, and listen to the archived wine talk shows. Uh, Ian, I can't say enough. You, you were fantastic. I really enjoyed having you on the show. I hope to have you on again. And as I always say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru. Drink up, good night, and good wine. Thank, Thank you again, you Ian. Much. Take care. No Cheers. Bye-bye. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.